Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Monday, May 17th, 2021. I am John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. And today, Abe Greenwald and I, executive editor. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Abe and I will be closing our June issue, which is a treasure trove of wonders we will be putting up as fast as we can on our website because today is actually a Jewish holiday, holiday of Shavuot, and so is tomorrow. Uh, we may be delayed in, in doing this, um, but we have a great piece by Jonathan Shanzer on the war in Gaza and uh, and its sources and roots. We have our cover story by our columnist Jim Meggs uh, called Thank God for Big Pharma, a great piece by a patent attorney named Michael Rosen on the on the uh, immense error the Biden administration is uh, has has made by by saying that it was uh, going to withdraw patent protections from the from the vaccines. A wonderful piece by Joseph Epstein called "Rome Wasn't Murdered in a Day." Um, uh, a lot of lot of great stuff. Our own uh, Christine Rosen, a senior writer. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. Your column this month? Yes, I'm trying to remember who. <laughs> what did I write? I've written so, so many things. So am I, but I'm older than you, and I only edited it. So, you know, it's not fair that you can't remember. You'll have to come to the website to see it, because I honestly, like, I'm, I'm totally blanking. It was You're like weeks blanking ago on it. Hey, hey, what is Christine's piece? <laughs> it clearly made a mark now you on know, everyone. Now you're, getting, now you're getting a glimpse into life <laughs> as it is actually lived. Uh, by by our uh, you know by people uh, who do this for a living, where we're like, yeah, I wrote it five seconds ago. I can't remember what I wrote. You know, it's really hard for me to remember what I wrote. Um, I have it right distortion here. Field. Reality distortion field. Okay. Yeah. The reality distortion field, which That's is right. um, it's actually about how the media tries to take very small, extraordinarily infinitesimally small minority interests and and make them the main story to the tune of you know obviously avoiding writing about other things that concern people and to promote an agenda. So honestly, it's a great piece and you should just understand that I, <laughs> I, my brain is melting and Christine just went and took her, her sons to get uh, vaccinated. And Abe is closing 64 pages of a magazine that you should <laughs> apologize. We should be able to apologize to you for not being able to remember uh, what Christine's <laughs> piece was about. Uh, we also have a piece by Matt Continetti on the amazing fact that somehow uh, Barack Obama is being memory hold or attacked for not having been sufficiently liberal and, uh, and ambitious as a president, as compared to Joe, Joe Biden, uh, the famously uh, FDR like uh, president. Um, and, uh, and, uh, Chris Steyerwalt, uh, and our own, excuse me, our own associate editor, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. I was wondering if I got cut. No, you didn't get cut. It's right here. <laughs> Joe making Biden, the list here. Joe Biden, Culture Warrior, which is a piece that arose out of a conversation that we had on this very podcast a couple of weeks ago on Joe Biden, how, how the idea that Joe Biden isn't a culture warrior is belied by the fact that he is a culture warrior and no lays systematically out the case for that. So this is all in our June issue. We're closing it today. We'll be in the mail next week and we will have it up online as soon as it is possible for us to do so. That may be Wednesday, but uh, we'll, we'll keep, uh, we'll keep beating, uh, beating the, uh, the bushes to get you excited about it. Uh, guys, um, 
a weekend of uh, hostilities between uh, Israel and Hamas. Uh, and there is some pretty weird stuff going on. I'm just going to give it to you this way, which is like, so the big story was that Israel blew up a building uh, in Gaza uh, that housed, among other things, the offices of the Associated Press on the grounds that Hamas had intelligence offices and assets in the building. And uh, the Associated Press, uh, which is led by the incoming editor of the Washington Post, Sally Busby, who is now the head of the Associated Press, has demanded an independent investigation into this as though Israel would strike a building with major press assets in it just because, eh, what the hell? Yeah, what, why not? Well, you know what? We don't like the Associated Press. Let's blow up the building. Um, that's insane. No rational country would do any such thing. And the simple fact of the matter is that in 2014, Israel similarly had to destroy a building uh, in which major media companies had offices because Hamas was using them as a human shield for its intelligence operations. And uh, and so the notion that the AP would essentially effectively, with this demand for an independent investigation, buy into some conspiracy theory that it was the target, it or Al Jazeera, was the target of Israel's rage, um, speaks to the dementia that has overtaken the sort of inter- international conventional wisdom about what is going on here. Uh, Israel may understand that the international press is not its friend, but um, it it has would have absolutely no interest, negative interest in creating a circumstance in which it could be accused of trying to destroy the assets of the Associated Press. I mean, uh, enemies of Israel should should really get their story straight here. I thought Israel is like you know it's a it deviously manipulates the press to cover up all its evil. You know, and, and and all its PR is is you know whitewashes all the terrible things it does. Why would it? Why would it now? You know, overtly just you know wage literal war on on the media. A fascinating other strike that happened last night. Uh, Israel, uh, as people know, and this is a whole other media story. Um, uh, it, uh, Hamas fighters. Uh, try to enter Israel through tunnels uh, and also have bunkers under Gaza City where they essentially the army of Hamas, the ground army of Hamas goes into these tunnels to hide or to try to get into Israel proper. Um, and uh, and so uh, Israel bombarded and hit the tunnels. Uh, three buildings collapsed. 40 people apparently died in these three buildings collapsed. The reason the buildings collapsed is that their foundations had been compromised by the tunnels uh, that were built that apparently uh, so hollowed out the ground under them that a, that a strike against the tunnels then collapsed these three buildings in different spots in, in, in Gaza. That apparently, the use of tunneling by Hamas is now, Israel is to be blamed for the fact that the buildings no longer have proper foundations. Uh, that is kind of astonishing. And of course, the other thing was that um, Israel's uh, military spokesman in English and, tw- and, 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 and act in Twitter, uh, he said on Friday, Israel's ground forces have entered Gaza. 
And according to the Hebrew language press, this was an act of deliberate deception in order to get Hamas to put its fighters into the tunnels so that they would be in the tunnels and Israel could strike the tunnels and kill its, you know, opposing army. Why would you do that? You don't just do that to do it. You do that, in fact, to avoid the necessity of a ground invasion. Because if you if you put yourself in the position where uh, no one from Hamas is going to be in a position to sort of cross the border and try to attack Israel either through the tunnels or through a cross-border action, uh, then you don't have to go in because Israel does not want to occupy Gaza, left Gaza in 2005 and all of that. And then suddenly this becomes, oh, how could Israel do this? How on earth could Israel lie about about saying that it had gone into Gaza when it hadn't? Like deception isn't an element of all Warcraft from, you know, the, from time immemorial. Since some soldiers truck. crawled into a wooden horse and it got yes. wielded. <laughs> yes, yes. Can I Which say two things about the AP? That's it. Go ahead, please. The, the, the AP story, there are two things that I noticed were not being said in sort of mainstream immediate reporting uh, in the aftermath of that. One is that they were given enough warning that everybody left the building and no one died, right? They, they, Everyone was out of the building. So no journalist was killed during this procedure. So nobody even bothers to mention that. But it's another example of how not reporting on military, how the Israeli military uh, does what it does in an attempt to limit civilian casualties doesn't get reported. The second thing is that everyone knows that this has been common procedure. There have been many, many news stories written about how news organizations' uh, buildings are used by Hamas uh, as cover. I mean, multiple, all you have to do is Google it and you'll you'll, you'll find 10 stories dating back to the early 2000s about this. So again, if you're, if a journalist's job is to provide context to readers, that context was also eliminated. So the two examples where a narrative is being crafted, where context is deliberately withheld to make Israel seem worse than it actually was. There was a um, <clears throat> item published in 2014 in the Atlantic by Maddie Friedman, who's a former Associated Press reporter. And I wanted to read a brief passage from that because it's very illuminating of a current situation. Um, quote, the AP staff in Gaza City would witness a rocket launch right beside their office, endangering reporters and other civilians nearby, and the AP would not report it. Not even in AP articles about Israeli claims that Hamas was launching rockets from residential areas. This happened. Hamas fighters would burst into AP's Gaza Bureau and threaten its staff, and the AP would not report it. Cameraman waiting outside Shifa Hospital in Gaza City would film the arrival of uh, civilian casualties and then, at a signal from an official, turn off their cameras when wounded and dead fighters came in, helping Hamas maintain the illusion that only civilians were dying. Um, this is a whistleblower account, and it is as relevant today as it was then, and you know, the claims that we should have this an independent investigation, if it is truly an independent inve investigation, will turn up many material links of support between uh, Associated Press reporters on the ground in Gaza and the terrorist organization Hamas. Um, another important element here is that according to Israel, 3,000 rockets have been fired uh, in the last week from Gaza, which is a pretty astounding number if you think about it. And again, a tribute to the amazing... Uh, high quality of, of, of Israel's Iron Dome anti-missile system that very few people have died in Israel as a result of the rockets uh, firing because Iron Dome is picking off 80 to 90% of the rockets. 
uh, of those 3,000 rockets, something like 250 at a minimum fired off from Gaza, malfunctioned, and hit Gaza, killing dozens, if not hundreds of people who we don't, whose deaths we may not hear about because they were caused by Hamas itself. Uh, another element that is, you know, sort of being left out of this general narrative that Israel, uh, as John Oliver, uh, the, you know, Bertie Wooster of, of, of late night news, you know, is now accused of committing war crimes. War crimes in a war of self-defense against rockets. Um, I think I mentioned this on Friday, but uh, I, I keep having, I want to cite this thing that yeah, your Rosenberg from Tablet said. He said, uh, in response to some people saying, Israel has Iron Dome, what does Hamas have? Like, what does Gaza have to protect it? And Yair said, Israel is Iron Dome. Hamas has, don't fire rockets at Israel. That's its Iron Dome. Don't fire rockets at Israel and nothing, and there will be no bombs dropped on you. That Israel has never struck Hamas targets except in retaliation. Ever, ever, there has not been a military action by Israel against Hamas that was not primarily defensive in nature. In a way, by the way, that is angering to certain elements of of, of Israeli public opinion that would like Israel to stage a surprise attack on Hamas and take out its rocket uh, cash uh, on the grounds that Israel should not have to live under the shadow of this and they should go in, do a surprise operation, find the rockets and destroy them on the ground and, and, and make this impossible. Israel will not do that. It does not want to do that. It will, it, it, and it has not done that. It is a retaliatory measure at all times. You can claim that Hamas is in the right because Israel's existence is an offense against Hamas, and therefore, it even by doing this, all Hamas is doing is being defensive. Uh, but you have to buy into a completely uh, outrageous line of thinking to even get anywhere near that. Israel's a country of almost 9 million people, and its population, Arab and Jew alike, are under threat from these rocket attacks. Um, imagine what Israel would have to do if it didn't have Iron Dome. Just think about that for five seconds. Israel would have to go into Gaza. Israel would have to destroy Gaza. Israel would have to have a ground invasion in which it killed thousands of Gazans on the ground, do street-to-street fighting, as it did in some sense during the Second Intifada when it went into towns on the West Bank that were bomb factories, they have to go house to house, street to street to destroy things. It would be would have been a, a you know a, a a dreadful toll. Uh, Israel kills hundreds of people in in these incursions. It would kill tens of thousands of people conceivably if it had to go in on the ground and take out Hamas assets one by one, hand you know hand to hand. Uh, Abe, Jonathan Chanzer's article brings up a, a larger point that is also seems to be entirely avoided uh, in, in this common conversation, which is, uh, quite simply, that Hamas is not an independent actor here. It is a proxy 
of Iran. That's right. Yeah, it doesn't. You know, I mean, that's that's you know long been the case. Also, long ignored. Um, uh, same applies to Islam Jihad. You know, um, once again, this is um, another example, as we talked about on Friday, of why um, the Abraham Accords are in fact having a good effect here, um, because they have further um, isolated. Iran, um, so uh, uh, the, the country is uh, sort of less powerful than it than it had been. Um, also, I want to mention that I there's a, a story out about how um, the Emirates, the the UAE, um, has reached out to Hamas uh, and said, "Look, we have some upcoming um, projects to do in the Strip, some sort of uh, like." Civic infrastructure, in infrastructure, in infrastructure projects to, to do in uh, Gaza, not, chi- not childcare. Right, right, right. Actual, actual infrastructure. Actual infrastructure. Yeah. Um, and you guys are putting that at peril. Um, we will, we will do that under the conditions that you get some calm uh, uh, to to sort of reign here. Um, you are only hurting the Palestinians, which is. You know the argument that uh, Israel's friends have been making all along, um, and I should add to that that in February the UAE um, reduced significantly its funding through uh, the UN to uh, uh, for for Palestinian aid. It's, it has already significantly reduced that. So once again, I just want to put this point on this because I'm still irked by all the pieces last week talking about how you know so much for the Abraham Accords. Um, the Abraham, the Abraham Accords have had a positive effect. Yeah, here's the quote from a senior official of the UAE to the Globe's financial newspaper. We are still ready and willing to promote civil projects in cooperation with the Palestinian Authority and under UN management in Gaza, but our necessary condition is calm. If Hamas does not commit to complete calm, it is dooming the residents of the Strip to a life of suffering. Its leaders must understand that their politics are first and foremost hurting the people of Gaza. That is a senior official of an Arab country. That is historic. That is a historic change. This is the first test of the Abraham Accords in that sense. And they have passed. And you know why? Because of Iran. You have to look at this and say, Israel has been striking Iran, I wouldn't say with impunity, but the, the you know, the, we know that was it it was six, seven weeks ago that Israel struck deep into Iran's nuclear program. And Iran has clearly not really had a sense of how to strike back. And this is the strike back. They're using Hamas under the guise of this fight over Sheikh the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah and Israel's supposed misbehavior on the Temple Mount to Give it to Israel through Hamas's rockets. I mean, there's a geopolitical game here, and 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 this is then, of course, complicated by the Biden administration's hunger to somehow get Iran back into some version of the nuclear deal. Having said that, it's important to say this because it's hard for you know we're incredibly critical of the Biden administration, critical of a lot of aspects of it. The Biden administration remains far more um, unrattled 
by what's happened here than I would ever have anticipated. Now, there are signs they are they are not attacking Israel. The only thing that we've seen in the last couple of days is that Secretary of State Blinken used the word de-escalation, said both sides must de-escalate, which, of course, is a parallel construction that I don't like. And he has asked for further information, proof that the building housing AP was a Hamas intelligence site. Um, there's something weird going on there inside the Biden administration because judging from what's going on and the general behavior of the Biden White House, it is conceivable that somebody in the Biden White House did get some kind of a briefing or someone in the intelligence structure of the U.S. government got some got, got some kind of a briefing from Israeli intel. We were told this, I mean, the Israeli press has had this, that doesn't mean it's true, but that there was some kind of a briefing and that Blinken, who is in Copenhagen doing something or other, may not have been in on the call or himself didn't get the information or thinks it's necessary to say, you know, we need more information as a go to trying to get BB to declassify stuff and put it out to provide cover for the U.S. Uh, in this, uh, you know, idea that somehow Israel did something wrong and that the U.S. needs to get some independent confirmation that something bad happened that Israel shouldn't be blamed for. Well, the Jerusalem Post says that this was a conveyed over the course of a principles call between Joe Biden and Prime Minister Netanyahu on right. Saturday. Right. So they had a principles call. And, you know, Biden doesn't have to tell Blinken what happened. <laughs> you know, Remember, again, we got a 78-year-old president. You know, he could have, like, gone off golfing or, you know, taken a nap or something and forgot to forgot to tell Blinken. I'm not joking. I mean, we, we don't know what's going on in there. And we have a whole bunch of other stuff to say about this question in relation to domestic policy in a bit. But um, where, where, does this, where does this go? Um, because it just seems to me like I keep getting attacked by listeners – to the podcast for seeming to be Pollyanna-ish or something about how I just don't feel like this is the same kind of assault on Israel by the international voices of international hostility comparable to what what it was like in 2014, 2010, 2009, and certainly 2003. By the way, but am I wrong? Am I wrong? I think you're right. And I, and I think the difference may be so far in the administration. I mean, because when this stuff would happen, you know, during the Obama years, um, because there was this official line, you know, coming out of the White House um, about, you know, Israel having to do its part and always, um, you know, supposedly, uh, you know, being more aggressive than was necessary and, all the terrible John Kerry quotes, um, it, it colored the, in the entire situation. Um, and without that, um, there is a shade more, um, sort of, uh, uh, reality about this. I mean, people are still screaming their heads off. Uh, they are on social media, um, and the, the papers are writing it up, you know, in all sorts of offensive ways, but it doesn't have purchase the way it, it, it has in years past. 
It's almost like they outsourced all of the uh, internal democratic tensions on this issue to the, all the House members, right? Because they're all fighting, you know, yes. tooth and nail and screaming, yelling at each other on the floor of the House about this. And there is, but so far, you know, uh, again, the way stories are framed, we get a lot of attention to the, you know, the Rashida Tlaib, AOC types, you know, Cory Bush types talking about how terrible Israel is, but very little focus on the number of moderate Democrats who actually have been firmly supportive of what Israel has done. So that, again, like, just like we should give credit to the, the Biden administration, there are plenty of Democrats in Congress who have been firm supporters and continue to be firm supporters of Israel. And so a lot of the bickering that's going on, I, I'm also, I also think it's notable how much more frequently the progressive left invokes Black Lives Matter and a kind of domestic racial issues and tries to link them to what's going on in the Middle East in a way that we've always seen a little bit of that, but they've really ramped that up. So it's that actually strikes me as a kind of act of desperation in terms of trying to get people to care about an issue where where because of the Abraham Accords and because of the way the administration is behaving so far, it, it is not as dire as it might have been. Okay, it's very important. There's a slightly yeah, more sorry. simpler explanation for that sort of behavior that is it's not active desperation because that implies that they know what they're doing. Um, I, it's more Occam's razor that they, have no idea, <laughs> they have no idea what they're talking about and genuinely are just completely ignorant. And that's probably my, my take on how intersectionality understands and views Jews. Um, cause they perceive them to be this class of people who have been relatively successful, pretty, uh, pretty assimilated into their American society and are therefore the purveyors of whiteness and, uh, you know, white privilege, um, which is sort of shocking to anybody who actually understands the history of this sort of thing. But they see it through a very jingoistic, chauvinistic prism, um, which does is incapable of understanding uh, the histories, the complex histories abroad. And they perceive themselves to be aware of it, but they have the most shallowest of possible understandings of, uh, of the, those histories and impose our own history on everyone else in order to justify a political or program. South Africa's history or some other. Yeah. yeah. They, yeah but even they, that, they, they only sort of kind of understand the outlines of it, the broadest <laughs> possible but, outlines of it as to, you know, as it's sort of like a 1984 concerts understanding of what apartheid actually was. And that's what, that's the political program that they're pursuing. So this is just a, as another extension of the very same thing. It's why they speak for Arab interests, having no understanding of what Arab interests are well, and are not reflected in their advocacy. I mean, a lot of anti historical anti semitism is based in is based in ignorance, but ignorance is no excuse. I mean that that that's the problem with laying this at the feet. I mean, okay, so I, we got to talk about Cory Bush for like three minutes, okay? Cory Bush, uh, first term, a Democrat from Missouri, essentially uh, elected uh, as a Black Lives Matter activist uh, from 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 St. Louis. Um, yeah, said. Uh, you know, when she she said anyone who supports Black Lives Matter has to support Palestine, something like that. Uh, our former colleague, Alana Goodman, former commentary staffer, now at the Washington Free Beacon, has an astounding piece today. Uh, I, I, I encourage you to look up. Meet Rep. Cori Bush and her fellow faith healers. Um, guess what? It turns out that she is a uh, – she uh, – claimed or her her pastor at a um at the uh, kingdom embassy international churches uh charles uh defon uh, defon um uh reported that he uh, she had covid in uh, march of 2020 was having trouble breathing he got on the phone with her and cured her covid in 30 minutes healed it was that simple he told alana goodman defon 
Corey, she had COVID and she called me from the hospital and 30 minutes later, she was breathing healed. It was that simple. A leader of this church will not wear masks because he says that uh, his faith will keep him from getting COVID. This is this is her church. It claims to be able to cure AIDS through healing. Um, and uh, and so uh, she is this uh, wild progressive, you know. But who it's important to note often cites her nursing experience, her experience as a nurse to argue for all these things about COVID, including you know attacking Republicans who won't wear masks. I mean, she she actually constantly talks about that as giving her credibility. When in fact, if she's subscribing to what uh, Alana Goodman's piece suggests, is about the furthest thing from science you can find. <laughs> yeah, in an April uh, seventh, twenty twenty video filmed at the church's Rhode Island headquarters known as the embassy, a church leader named Chris Chris said that Bush, quote, just called the embassy and she got cured of coronavirus right over the phone. Defund is just decreeing, delivering all that good stuff in the name of Jesus. And guess what? She got healed from coronavirus right now about 30 minutes ago. We just murdered coronavirus, son. We just murdered it. I don't care. Bring people with AIDS. Bring the paralyzed people. <laughs> the paralyzed people are going to get healed and start breakdancing. The AIDS people, they're going to be able to donate Blood, Chris, who said he does not wear a mask because his faith protects him from contracting the virus, added that he was ready to go march in the streets and just, bam, Hulk smash Corona. Guess guess where some pocket of vaccine hesitancy might reside <laughs> in groups exactly. that promote that message. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so she's a kook, is what I'm saying. Uh, Noah said she's ignorant. Uh, she's apparently a kook. Uh, not that having religious faith makes you a kook. Uh, or that but these as, two conditions are mutually exclusive. Right, right. but I, I, I do think it's uh, fair to say that if uh, there was any kind of parallel construction with a Republican congressman and a faith-healing tradition, Pentecostalist faith-healing tradition... Remember Sarah Palin's church? Yeah, we would how, never... How, how many times have we devoted you know whole news cycles to evangelicals and their yeah. resistance to, to yeah, vaccination? exactly. Um, so... Uh, so that's the Cory Bush story. So when you see Cory Bush saying something or you're on Facebook and your friends are talking about this, just go to the Washington Free Beacon, get that URL, put it on Facebook, <laughs> have people read it. That's all I'm asking you to do. Retail this story because people need to know this is a leading voice of the squad uh, and she's a lunatic and she uh, is in, you know, she follows a lunatic uh, faith healer. And as herself, yeah, a nurse who claims that this is how you're supposed to get treated. Um, with that, let me just ask you, are you still going to the post office? Are you still paying full price for postage? Thanks to stamps.com, you don't have to anymore. Mail and ship anytime right from your computer anywhere. Send letters, ship packages, and pay less, a lot less with discounted rates from the United States Postal Service, UPS, and more. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS right to your computer. It's a must-have for any business, whether you're a small office sending invoices, a side Etsy shop shipping out orders, or just navigating this hybrid work life. Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. No wonder over 1 million businesses choose Stamps.com for their mailing and shipping. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you get discounts up to 40% off post office rates and up to 66% off UPS shipping rates. 
Not to mention Stamps.com is a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving you time and money. It's no wonder nearly those 1 million small businesses already use Stamps.com. So stop wasting time going to the post office. Go to Stamps.com instead. There's no risk. And with my promo code commentary, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage at a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in commentary. That's Stamps.com promo code commentary. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. So um, I just want to say last night I went out. Uh, to a live show for the first time uh, in uh, more than a year. Family and I, we drove to Ridgefield, Connecticut from New York uh, and sat in a tent outside the Ridgefield Playhouse and saw Seth Meyers, uh, who I know is would be a controversial figure to many people listening to this podcast, but who was a brilliant stand-up, do a fantastic stand-up routine. There were about 500, 600 people under this tent. Um, and nobody knew what to do about their masks because, uh, of course, it's a, a venue of, you know, most almost everybody, uh, White, well-heeled. Uh, Ridgefield is a very rich town, uh, as, as Seth Meyers joked. Uh, it's one of these places that you know has bridle. It says caution bridal path when you're driving down the street, in case you know someone should be crossing with their thoroughbred horse uh, from one field to another. Uh, so you got to figure almost everybody is vaccinated. So everyone had a mask, and then the head of the venue said. Look, you got a mask. If you're not eating or drinking, we ask you to keep it on because that's how we're doing things. Although I believe Ned Lamont, the governor of Connecticut, announced that masking was no longer necessary. And people really didn't know what to do. So a lot of people literally, and Seth Myers made a joke about this, said he's now going to wear his mask badly. He's going to wear it under, he's going to wear it, but he's going to wear it under his nose. And I looked around and there were like 200 people in the room with their masks on, but under their nose or, or like didn't have on, on, off, didn't know what to do. No one knew what to do. And this is the result of this lunatic rollout of this, of this guidance uh, that the, you know, hit the world all of a sudden. Was it Thursday? I think it was Thursday. And Gail Walensky, the head of the CDC, was on five morning shows yesterday and apparently did not make anything much clearer. <clears throat> I want to. Rochelle, Rochelle, Rochelle. I'm sorry, Gail Walensky was a was a Republican <laughs> HHS official 30 years ago. So yet again, I'm old and I can't remember anything right. Few governors have been as hostile toward this new uh, mandate as my own, um, not mandate guidance, as my own governor of New Jersey, Phil Murphy, who has spent the weekend uh, complaining about this and boosting everyone who says that this is a nightmare disaster that will only, uh, you know, affect every political interest group that Democrats like negatively. Um, and I want to illustrate this a little bit. In my county, uh, in the middle of New Jersey, pretty fairly well populated county of about 330,000 people, um, new reported cases by day on May 16th is a grand total of six. The 14-day change in case rates is minus 72%. Our seven-day average daily cases per 100,000 people is a grand total of five. And according to the New York Times, my county is a high-risk county. (laughs) You would have to try to encounter someone who has COVID. It's hard. It's difficult on you to find someone who has COVID. And, and make out with them. And, ma- and, make, the and make out with them, basically. Have them lick your face. That's probably one of the few ways to do it. In fact, guidance suggests that that's how you get it for the most part. 
very close contact in indoor settings. We know this. And the resistance to this. So licking your face this, in the bathroom I is mean, what you're saying. That sounds fun. Okay. So but yeah, that's, that's yeah. certainly one of the ways to do this. Nevertheless, 70% of, of our adult population is vaccinated. The problem in New Jersey that they're beginning to acknowledge, that they find it very difficult to acknowledge, is that the majority of those people are white. Only 7% of the African-American population in this uh, state is fully vaccinated. Um, it's difficult to reach these communities. They're going door to door, they're door knocking. Um, but you still see in popular culture this notion that you know we can't, we can't move forward because of Trump voters and Trump supporters. Those states are open regardless of their vaccination status. We're not really even talking about them anymore. And this is a real problem. I'm not saying it's not a real problem. I'm on record saying the, the threat posed by an unvaccinated population that's significant enough to incubate the potential for a variant is something that policymakers should be concerned with. Nevertheless, can, can I, I have what they're pursuing something. here is a blanket policy that is not effective public policy. It's ignorant. And it will have the, the precise opposite effect of what they're trying to do. Okay, I have to read this. There's a story in the Washington Post. I think it was Sunday story. The right decision wrongly handled inside the Biden administration's abrupt reversal on masks. And here is the quote from the story. Quote, black and Latino communities have been hit particularly hard by the virus and they have received, they have received a smaller share of vaccinations in the country to date. Health officials have made progress in closing these gaps, but they acknowledge there's still much work to be done. They have received a smaller share of vaccinations. So we are now in a position where the terror of the mainstream media in assigning any kind of agency to minority communities in their defense of themselves by active by actively clicking on a site and getting an appointment or walking into a walk-in place the blame lies on somehow some weird force that has not given them the vaccine the way it's somehow given it to whites am i am i grammatically am i reading this correctly right that's they that, have, that, that's, they, have yeah. they have received a smaller share of vaccinations no they have they have uh, chosen to get a smaller share of vaccine no the, the choice of language here is really important and, and we should be vigilant about this in the context of any discussion of equity in this way because it is a it is a deliberate effort to change the way that we understand how things work in the name of outcomes um, and you see it all the time. I mean, I follow this locally, obviously, because as our listeners know, I was ranting for a long time about how equity policies that DC government imposed uh, made it very difficult if you wanted to get a vaccine but lived in a certain zip code to get one. Um, that is why it's it's it, there's a lot of passive voice. There's a lot of oh, they're the victims of circumstance. No, they're just choosing not to get it. Look, I went today to get my kids vaccinated for their first shot. Convention center. It was extremely well run. I have to give a lot of props to DC. Has finally figured this out. They're doing a great job. Uh, African American uh, sort of security guard at the convention center said, "Oh, how'd you convince these two to get the shot? I'm having trouble convincing my my relatives." Like the young kids, I was like, well, I threatened to take their phone away. I mean, I didn't have to convince them. They want to get the shot. But it was interesting to me that she, there were a lot of teenagers in line because this just opened up in D.C. for, for teenagers. Um, and very few, most of them were white. So, I mean, this is an anecdotal snapshot. But I think, I think John, you're absolutely right to point that out because the way that this is, this is going to be a, a continuing problem in how we understand 
uh, vaccination. And it's it's a continuing problem for all these equity discussions, particularly in education and elsewhere. It's especially interesting when contrasted with the way um, the vaccine reluctant right um, is talked about and written about. There's all these sort of like um, big think pieces and trying to understand them, you know, um, uh, which is, I think, you know, wrong on a few counts um, because I'm, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I, I think we understand them perfectly fine. I don't think you need to delve too deep. They're, they're, they're off the reservation is the issue. Um, um, so, but it's, it's all about, you know, trying to see the vaccine through the lens of the, tw- of the 2020 election, um, nothing but agency. Right. Well, I mean, part of this is also that what last year when you had sort of like idiot teens at spring break, right, uh, getting interviewed in Myrtle Beach and they would say things like, look, if I get it, I get it. It's fine. I'll just get it. And then in all honesty, people were like horrified on the grounds that this is a contagion and you can't just get it and then you'll get it. That's not a legitimate way to handle a contagion because you can spread it if you get it. This is where things start getting complicated now because it really is now the case that if you don't get vaccinated and other people are vaccinated, they're not going to get it from you. You can get it. They're not going to get it. The risk calculation starts to shift And you are literally saying to people, we are going to somehow, it is important to keep the country closed down in order to keep people who are making a deliberately conscious choice not to make themselves safe from the virus. They should be made safe from the virus at the the expense of everybody else. That's insane because in fact... It is a risk calculation. If you're too afraid of of of, of getting the shot because you think it's going to make you sick and you're willing to risk the possibility that COVID itself will be worse than the results of the vaccine, we are now at a point where that is your right. I mean, it was always your right because it's not law that people, you know, unless they're, they're children, uh, you know, have to get vaccinated for anything. People make this calculation every year about the flu. It's like, I won't get the vaccine. I don't want to get a vaccine. I'll, I'll risk getting the flu. As long as you don't pose a danger to other people, the only people now, given the facts and results of the studies of the Pfizer vaccine in particular that led to the lifting of the mask mandates by the CDC, the only people who are at risk of getting COVID from other people are other people who aren't vaccinated. And then but we why can't you understand yeah. that in the public health community cannot? You have people like Dr. Lena Wen, who's become one of these celebrity public health officials over the course of this crisis, saying, we can't rely on the honor system here. Well, of course you can, because the risk is not yours. Right. It's theirs. <clears throat> and they seem to have inverted the risk proposition here and put the onus entirely on people who are who are genuinely free from the virus. And every poll we suggest would suggest says that the people who are vaccine hesitant are far more likely to do stuff. You know, this is um, an important point now, especially because um, according to uh, the sort of latest research about the variants, I saw an interview with uh, Shane Crotty, who's this leading virologist. And um, his take is that uh, we have sort of seen what 
the virus can do in terms of mutations and variants already. Um, be, this, you know, given the sort of the ingredients of the virus, of the virus, um, there are only so many permutations that it that it can uh, sort of do. I mean, I'm speaking in completely lay terms here. Um, Really, and, that sounded very highly technical. Yeah, yeah, they can tell you. Can, I, they, I, was, can I lost. I got certain, lost there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll try. I'll try to dump it down okay. a little. Yeah. So, um, so that there is reason to think that the in terms of mutations and new variants, it, it doesn't really have any more tricks up its sleeve. So the fear that um, people who aren't getting vaccinated are serving as uh, sort of like um, incubation. Uh, you know, uh, uh, centers for the for the virus to then mutate and be able to infect those eventually to infect those of us who have been vaccinated is kind of no longer operable. But this Look, is this is what I'm writing about today, and it's it's super important, and I think it's hysterical in a way in that these two competing liberal interest groups around this pandemic are now are now you know engaged in an, a robberus where they're just devouring each other. Again, my governor Phil Murphy um, cited. Dr. Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci himself, to justify keeping this mask indoor mask mandate in defiance of CDC guidance. He said that Dr. Fauci himself has said lifting indoor mask mandates could lead to a rise in infection. So we have to ignore the CDC's guidance. What is the CDC guidance supposed to do? It is supposed to incentivize people to go get vaccinated and lift these conditions that are compelling people to avoid going back to work. So we have an economic incentive and a public health incentive that is now being undermined directly by the public health Guidance and these are two two vital competing interests on the Democratic uh, um, and Democratic uh, Party and the governing party that they're going to have to resolve in very short order, or else both of these objectives are going to be frustrated. I think what happened here is a mark of the unbelievable bungling that happened last week. If you were had done this well, we talked about this on Friday. If the Biden administration had done this properly, and now it is retelling a whole story about how oh it was totally sandbagged. It didn't know. It was only, only got an hour's notice before the CDC or the, you know, announced that they were lifting the mask mandate. If that is true, then they better, like, they better have a big meeting and say, are you people crazy? I'm the, this is the president of the United States. You tell him what is going on and you give us a little time to get prepared because you're a bunch of idiots and you don't know how to do public communications. Because Lena Wen, who writes a column on the coronavirus for the Washington Post, should have gotten a call to brief her on why they were doing it so she would be flattered to get an inside call. This is what happens in wartime. Administration brings in the 25, 30 leading columnists on what's going on and gives them a big in, inside briefing on how everything's going to happen. Everyone is all so, ooh, I'm Mr. Inside. I know I had a conversation off the record with on background, deep background in the sit room. And so I know the real skinny. They should have done that with everybody, Zainab Trefeci and 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 Lena Wen and Eric Feigelding and Schmerich Deigelfling and whoever <laughs> the hell is on Twitter making fake charts because they got a PhD in public communications from Boulder State College and now claims to be an epidemiologist. But that's how you do it. Nobody did it. And people like Lena Wen are like, I don't really understand how the modality of this. It seems a little excessive. 
You need but, to flatter people if you're doing a public communication strategy. They didn't do it. And now they're trying to blame the White House is saying, we didn't know what's going on. We have no idea. This all happened despite us. Okay, but can I give a, again, not to be the skunk at the garden party, but I have a slightly more cynical interpretation, which is I agree that they bungled the rollout, that it was kind of caught everybody off guard. But as we discussed last week, that might have been that they decided, you know, it's time. We got to we got to change the news cycle to something positive, give, you know, get people's attention to something else right now. And my example of this is some someone else is trying and it's a kind of gaslighting, like a little bit of gaslighting, like, oh, look, we're it's actually all going to be open. And we discussed all the different things that were being all the bad news that they'd been promoting about the, the virus just a week earlier, including the president. So look at the head of the, the teachers unions who did a big rollout over the weekend about how we must get back to school. We totally support getting back to school. And, you know, most people are looking at this correctly, cynically, as what a ridiculous PR campaign, you know, this idea that we're going to turn on a dime. But the Biden administration is doing kind of a version of this, right? It's going to, it's getting pushback now because there's confusion. And as Noah's important point about his governor shows, there's a lot of dissension in the ranks. But I think they really... I think the thought process was a lot more simple. It was, you know what, we're going to push forward the good news because it's just been bad news after bad news after bad news. And we're going to, you know, everyone's going to be so happy with us that there's not going to be a lot of, you know, fallout from this. So either way, it's a bad, either, either, either way, they did this, they did this uh, cynically and they did it badly or they were sandbagged, in which case, what the hell is going on there? Is there any minimal competence? Granted, they've only been in office for, for five months, but you know, it's a long five months and they don't get, you know, they don't serve four months, whatever the hell it is, and they don't get, you know, a pass constantly. The whole point is that they sandbag. They didn't tell the governors. They didn't tell mayors. They 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 apparently knew Wednesday night what they were doing so they could do some changes to their own websites. But, I mean, I had the experience. There was a 12-hour gap in when you could sign up your 12 to 15-year-old after the 12 to 15-year-old thing was changing because you know it takes time to fix websites. I mean, this is nuts. So you know, as I said, I went last night, Saturday nights, three nights after the guidance says, and we were at a tent outside, and the person who runs the playhouse didn't know what to say because it was sort of like, well, we're still going to keep masking, but it's like, really, we're not. We're outside. The the you know. Your, the governor of Connecticut said mask mandates are lifted. The the CDC said you don't have to wear a mask outside if you're vaccinated. Why are you saying this? But you can't blame her. You can't blame her because I nothing was her. done. Biden didn't. No, you can't. Uh, well, Biden, no, I'm going <laughs> to. No, don't blame not. her. I'm going to. Well, but there's another, okay. there's another issue here, too. If you're in a public venue... Uh, and you you and you're running the place and you know or you suspect that virtually everyone has been vaccinated and you know you're outside and you know the CDC's new guidance you still also know that if you say so if you don't want to wear a mask take off your mask there will be a significant number of people in that audience who will start to freak out because they, they are out there. And I, I, they are still, the, the, the CDC guidance has not changed that. Um, I've seen on social media over the weekend, more policing of people in public, not wearing masks still. Yeah. But that's, but that's all part of this incredible failure mm-hmm. of the public strategy. You don't announce it at three o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday. 
when two days before the head of the CDC said she wasn't going to send her vaccinated kid, her vaccinated kid to camp. Yeah, I just don't, I don't think these two things are comparable because this is what what Abe is describing here is is not a not an informed outlook. It's superstition. These people are clinging to their masks in their pandemic, and there's just no capacity to engage in the kind of uh, condescension that they would regularly apply to Republicans and conservatives who have their own uh, superstitions that are not necessarily well based or well informed. Um, these are superstitions, and they can't be re- you can't reason someone out of that. No, so no amount of guidance the, would have alleviated no, this condition. But you can put them on the defensive. Right. You can make it so they do not have the moral high ground. And that is the failure of this strategy was that nothing was done to say there has been a shift. The science says this. We all believe in the science. We have studied this. We now have evidence, sufficient evidence to suggest that the vaccine not only keeps you from getting COVID, it keeps you from spreading COVID and it protects you from the variants. You can take off your mask. Can, but that is, it's not that you have to, but you can. And Biden and Kamala Harris did that and they did it at three o'clock in the afternoon out of nowhere and then walked away and then they started talking about whatever else. Okay. Well, that, that was the what, one thing that, that that was the weirdest thing about Rochelle Walensky's media blitz this weekend was her saying when when pressed, like, why now? What What's going on? What's changed since vaccination began? She's like, well, we've got new evidence in the last two weeks that made us, she's just bullshitting. Pardon my French, because yeah. th- if that's the case, then was everyone not protected? And, you know, starting in January, it's ridiculous. It's patently spin. Right. But I mean, I, I, I think it's fair to say that the evidence is now incontrovertible. So, you know, she could even say, look, we were being uh, extraordinarily cautious. And uh, just the, you know, just the, the, the evidence is now incontrovertible. But that's actually not what she said. She said, we have new evidence, which is not true. Because the evidence was there from the outset. That's why the vaccine was approved for emergency use. It was approved for emergency use because the emergency use, it was already clear that it was effective. Um, and then people started issuing these possible potential objections. You know, now you could you could say maybe they shouldn't lift the indoor mask mandate, but they decided to. That's what she has to explain. Anyway, what she um, said is I'm delivering the science as the science is delivered to the medical journals and it evolved. I delivered it as soon as I can when we have that information available. So. I mean, it's not like this. She's not saying this happened a week ago. She's saying this happened right the second. And right. she's delivering it to you as she's privy to it. Right. Guys, look, I need to take a pause here to talk to you about gum. Yes, I'm talking to you about gum. We all chew gum. Love gum. Not all gum is created equal. Some comes in fancy packaging, but it only covers up bad breath. Others are loaded with sugar that can wreak havoc on your teeth. Luckily, the oral care experts at Quip have made a gum that stands out from the pack one that can help prevent cavities and taste great too. It was only a few short years ago that Quip reinvented the toothbrush for the modern age, and they've done it again this time for chewing gum with a new gum that's actually good for your oral health and comes with a dispenser that'll remind you of the one-click candy you loved as a kid. Chew it for 20 minutes after eating. Sugar-free Quip gum has tooth-friendly xylitol, zero calories, and to satisfy your taste buds, it added a long-lasting mint flavor, crunchy tri-layer design, and stamped it all with a classic Quip tongue. Slim travel away dispenser, available in five colors, metal or plastic, packs and protects up to 10 gum pieces at a time. 
And in a world where we all need to be safe and hygienic, the quick release button means you can still share with friends, no wrappers, no hands, no hassles, and a gov refill plan for a gift that keeps on giving all year round. Quip's customizable subscription lets you chew and share at your own pace and not worry about running out. Plus, the more you buy, the more you save with both discounts on extra gum packs. It's not a substitute for brushing and flossing, but this is great support for your oral health. Pair it with a Quip electric toothbrush for adults and kids, refillable floss, and more great products. So if you go to getquip.com slash commentary right now, you can get a free plastic dispenser with any refill plan. Spread good oral health habits. Join the over 5 million mouths already using Quip. Get chewing for less than $2 per gum pack. And that freeze dispenser at getquip.com slash commentary. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash commentary. You can also find the Quip electric toothbrush, refillable floss, and more in the oral care aisle at your local Walmart. Quip, the good habits company. Um, um, just a, one yes. more note about the sort of organizational chaos here and uh, in the, the Biden's uh, sort of non-rollout of the new guidance. You know how we've um, lamented <clears throat> for a long time that w- with the Trump administration, um, there's it's sort of rendered a, a, a kind of conduct um, um, sort of no longer beyond the pale for people in public office and in holding high office. And a certain kind of vulgarity will never again <clears throat> necessarily be disqualifying. Um, I'm starting to wonder if there's not a similar principle at work regarding incompetence, you know, um, that things were sort of uh, broken, you know, or, or sort of standards were, were changed and altered so much and sort of blown up um, over the last four years that... Um, it's it's maybe too much to expect for things to snap back um, right away and for any administration to run uh, the way they did pre-Trump. And with that, I think we will bid you a fond farewell until tomorrow. Uh, for Abe, Noah, and Christina, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.